the book of 2 Timothy, and tonight to the final chapter, chapter 4, and to the final 14 verses, verses 9 through 22. Paul's second letter to Timothy, his protege and partner in the work of the gospel, chapter 4, verses 9 through 22. Make every effort to come to me soon, for Demas, having loved this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Pick up Mark and bring him with you, for he is useful to me for service. But Tychicus I have sent to Ephesus. When you come, bring the cloak which I left at Troas with Carpus and the books, especially the parchments. Alexander the coppersmith did me much harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Be on guard against him yourself, for he vigorously opposed our teaching. At my first defense, no one supported me, but all deserted me. May it not be counted against them. But the Lord stood with me and strengthened me, so that through me the proclamation might be fully accomplished, and that all the Gentiles might hear. And I was rescued out of the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet Prisca and Aquila in the household of Onesiphorus. Erastus remained at Corinth, but Trophimus I left sick at Miletus. Make every effort to come before winter. Eubulus greets you, also Pudens and Linus and Claudia and all the brethren. The Lord be with your spirit. Grace be with you. Father, I pray that grace would be with us now as we come to these final verses of this book and as we open them up and think them out together and as we put them into practice, Lord willing, carefully in our own lives. Help us to do that. Be willing that we do that. Work so that we do that, so that we apply what we hear tonight and love what we hear tonight and benefit from what we hear tonight. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Make every effort to come to me soon, verse 9. Make every effort, verse 21, to come before winter. Those are, of course, some of Paul's final written words penned from his last imprisonment to Timothy, his great friend in the faith and in the work of the gospel. Make every effort to come to me. Now, this is the second time that Paul has written to Timothy, and it may well be that in the interval he has heard from Timothy And Paul says back in chapter 1, verse 3, that he constantly remembers Timothy and that night and day he prays for Timothy. But Paul also longs, as he puts it in chapter 1, verse 4, to see Timothy. Verses 3 and 4, I thank God whom I serve with a clear conscience the way my forefathers did as I constantly remember you in my prayers night and day, longing to see you even as I recall your tears, so that I may be filled with joy. And therefore, tonight, Timothy, make every effort to come to me soon. 
It would so fill Paul with joy, chapter 1, verse 4. It would so warm his heart if Timothy would come to him, if Timothy could pay him a visit in his incarceration. And it would warm Paul's body too, because winter is coming, verse 21, and so Paul could definitely use his cloak in verse 13 if Timothy could snag it from Carpus in Troas, and Paul would really like it in the same verse there if Timothy might bring his books too, perhaps copies of various portions of the scriptures, maybe other study resources as well, presumably so that Paul can continue to grow in the Lord even while he sits awaiting execution here at the end of his life. We gave a whole sermon some time back on Paul's desire for his books here in verse 13 and on the benefit that such books can be to us as well. And so let me not linger on that thought, but suffice it to say that, yes, two reasons Paul would like Timothy to come, and in the case of one of them to come before winter, are that Paul would love Timothy to bring him his jacket and his books. And he'd also be greatly helped, he says in verse 11, if Timothy could bring along Mark as well, because Mark would be a really good helper at this stage in Paul's life. So Paul wants Timothy to come and bring some things. And we won't fault him, I don't think, for these very practical requests. But if we're listening to what Paul is saying in this letter, I think it will be clear to us also that Paul doesn't just want to see Timothy wearing his FedEx uniform, as it were, and dropping off packages to him. He wants to see Timothy himself. He longs to see Timothy's face. He would love to hear Timothy's voice. He looks forward to benefiting from Timothy's company. Didn't he say as much back in chapter 1, verse 4? Longing to see you. Longing to see you. Longing to see you. Even as I recall your tears, so that I may be filled with joy. Paul's words there just drip with personal fondness for Timothy, don't they? Make every effort to come, Timothy, because it would greatly rejoice my heart to see you once again. And so this desire to see Timothy is not just a practical thing, but a personal one. Paul doesn't merely need a cloak, he needs a companion. He needs fellowship. And we get more hints of this fact in our passage tonight, because did you pick up in Paul's words here at the end of the book, did you pick up on the importance for Paul of the presence of his fellow workers in the gospel? Did you pick up the importance here of Paul's desire for fellowship? Did you pick up on his desire for gospel companionship? He wants Timothy to come And to come soon, verse 9, for, or because, verse 10, Demas has deserted him. And Crescens and Titus have moved to other fields of service. And so has Tychicus in verse 12. And so here Paul is in the last months of his life, and only one of his close brotherhood is left nearby, verse 11. Only one of his ministry team is close enough to come and see him in prison, namely Luke. And although Paul surely isn't calling Luke chop liver here, we can see, I think, why Paul would want another visitor. 
particularly a visitor like Timothy, his son in the faith, his protege and partner in gospel ministry, this man whom he loves so dearly. Only one of his closest associates is nearby, and Paul is not ambivalent about that lack, but is rather, it would appear, powerfully feeling his need for Christian companionship, for Christian brotherhood, for fellowship. And we can imagine, I'm sure, why he would be. Because just like all of us need Christian fellowship, Paul needed Christian fellowship as well. And that really emerges as the theme tonight, not just Paul's fellowship with Timothy, but the theme of Christian fellowship in general as we seek to serve the gospel, as we seek, like Paul, to minister for Christ. And I want to unpack that theme of Christian fellowship for you and fellowship as we minister the gospel now under three headings. The first of which is simply the importance of fellowship in gospel ministry. The importance of fellowship. We've been thinking about this already, of course, as we've considered Paul's lack of fellowship in his imprisonment here. Folks that have gone to other places, and we've considered his desire for the fellowship of Timothy in these last days of his life. Paul longs to see his son Timothy, his partner in gospel ministry, Timothy, and he longs to see him because he needs his fellowship. And he longs for such fellowship now because of the history of fellowship that they have together, serving the gospel side by side. That's why he wants to see Timothy. He longs for that fellowship now also because of the absence of fellowship in his life for various reasons from other partners in the gospel. So that even the absence of fellowship in Paul's life as various people have gone their separate ways helps us to highlight the importance of Christian fellowship tonight. The importance of fellowship is highlighted really all throughout these final verses, though, isn't it? From Paul's pen. He longs for fellowship with Timothy in verse 9 and in verse 21. He has experienced broken fellowship with Demas, verse 10. He misses the fellowship of Crescens and Titus, also in verse 10, and Tychicus in verse 12, and probably this is why he mentions that Erastus and Trophimus are in different places as well in verse 20, because he misses such fellowship. He desires to have fellowship with Mark in verse 11. He was completely lacking fellowship at his first defense in verse 16. And although most of his missionary partners are not nearby and he's missing them, he is apparently benefiting in verse 21 from the fellowship of some local believers so that it isn't just him and Luke and never another friendly face. And we'll come back to that. But all of this shows us both the fellowship that Paul does have in Luke and in these Christians who are mentioned in verse 21 And then the absence of fellowship and the broken fellowship and the longing for fellowship, all of this shows us not just the importance of Christian fellowship in Paul's life right now as he sits in prison and prepares for his execution, but all of these various names mentioned here, including these people he greets in verse 19, remind us that many of these people were part of Paul's life, part of the fellowship in Paul's life in one way or another, even before he got to prison. 
He was benefiting from these people's fellowship, many of them, and they from his, not just in Christian suffering, but when he was out doing Christian ministry as well. When he was out doing the thing about which he's writing to Timothy in this letter, ministering the gospel, these people were part of his life. In other words, this final message from Paul's pen with all of these various different names reminds us that Paul wasn't a lone ranger. That Paul undertook his gospel labors as part of a team, as part of a partnership, as part of a fellowship. Many of the names he mentions here as now being gone were once very present in his life as he traveled about the Mediterranean basin preaching the good news of God's Son. That's why it's so hard for him that they're no longer nearby because they once were nearby. They once were a part of his team. And Paul was not therefore a one-man band but a gospel team member. And so... Many of these names inserted here at the end of Paul's writing remind us of that fact. So many of these people were Paul's companions in gospel labor. Timothy had traveled and ministered with Paul, as we know. Demas had apparently been a traveling companion as well, according to verse 10. He was with Paul and now he's gone. Probably Crescens was also a missionary companion of Paul's, given what is said about him, verse 10. And we know that Titus was, Galatians chapter 2. Luke, in verse 11, became the chronicler of Paul's missionary journeys in the book of Acts and was with Paul on some of those journeys, according to that book that he wrote. Mark, in verse 11, has an interesting story, too, that we'll come back to. But suffice it to say for now that Mark was one of Paul's traveling missionary companions as well. He's become one of the most famous ones, and at one point he was one of the most infamous ones as well. Tychicus and Trophimus in verses 12 and 20 traveled with Paul on Paul's third missionary journey and were there the night that Paul preached so long that a man fell asleep sitting in the windowsill and fell three stories to his death. Good thing no one is in the window tonight. Erastus also, uh, in verse 20, was a helper of Paul on that third missionary journey. You can look many of these people, not all of them, but many of them you can find mentioned elsewhere in the New Testament. And then there's the wife and husband team of Prisca and Aquila mentioned there in verse 19. They were great partners of Paul's in the work of the gospel, housing him and making tents together in Corinth traveling with him when he left Corinth, staying behind in Ephesus after Paul first preached there, perhaps to continue the work that he'd begun, hosting a church in their home at one point, and risking their necks for Paul in some way that he mentions but doesn't detail in Romans 16. And so do you see the the picture that's coming into focus here? These are Paul's gospel Companions. These are his fellow workers. These are his missionary co-workers. Not only is Paul missing the fellowship of these people here at the end of his life, but surely the reason he is missing the fellowship of these particular people is because they are the ones who had shared such fellowship together in the work of the gospel in the earlier periods of his life. These are his gospel co-laborers. And so it's clear that Paul didn't want to suffer alone here at the end of his life, yes, and few people do. 
But we're also reminded in this passage, and by thinking about who these people are that he's mentioning, we're also reminded here that Paul did not serve alone in the prime of his life. Paul's gospel ministry was carried out in the context of partnership, of fellowship. He was not a lone ranger in gospel ministry, and neither should we be. The example of Paul through the presence of all these various names here at the end of 2 Timothy reminds us of the importance of fellowship, of partnership, of companionship, of teamwork in gospel ministry. The importance of Paul's having Timothy's and Timothy's having Paul's and all of us having Titus's and Prisca's and Aquila's and Erastus's and so on. This is why it's important, for instance, that churches have a plural number of elders when possible and why deacons also should pitch in and perform their roles as well because no one minister can do it all by himself. There has to be a team. This is why it's important, too, for pastors to have fellowship when possible with other pastors, and I'm thankful that we have that here in Cincinnati. This is why we like to see missionaries going out in teams or individuals and couples that go on the mission field and join up with a team that's already in existence once they arrive. Because gospel ministry is meant to be done as part of a team in most cases. This is why each of us should sink deeply into the local church and not try to do the Christian life or to go out and try and undertake our own gospel work by ourselves. Now again, this is a letter, as we've said, from a pastor to a pastor, from a preacher to a preacher, from a missionary to a missionary. And many of the names Paul mentions here are pastor, missionary types as well. And so that is, again, the first level of application. But the principle that I'm pointing out here is true of all of us, that we are not to be lone rangers as we seek to minister for Christ in our own spheres and in our own measures. You might not be able, like Paul did, to take your fellow church members with you when you go to your mission field, when you witness to your co-workers, in other words, when you share Christ with your extended family over Christmas. They may not be able to go with you like Timothy did on occasions or some of these others, but you can have them going with you in prayer, right? They can still partner with you in the work that God's called you to do when we gather to pray, and I'd urge you to make sure that happens. Make part of your praying when we pray together in this building or elsewhere, praying for your ministry of gospel witness wherever it is that God calls you. And find specific fellow church members who won't just pray for you here, but whom you might be able to call and text, and they will pray for you even more specifically when the time for witness arrives. Because it's important that we have partners like Paul did when we go out ministering the gospel, that we're not alone in this thing. That's why it's a beautiful thing to watch people working together at Backyard Bible Club or Vacation Bible School. It's why it's really cool when two believers or more go out together and hand out tracts at a parade. It's why we're thankful for the partnership of Sunday school teachers that partner with us in sharing Christ and teaching the Bible to our children. Gospel ministry whether on the grand scale undertaken by Paul or on the smaller scale of local church work or in the hum and drum of everyday life, gospel ministry works best in partnership, in fellowship with other believers. We see that all throughout Paul's life. That's the first point tonight and probably the main one. 
Paul's testimony here teaches us the importance of fellowship in gospel ministry, partnership in gospel ministry. But then we need to see in the second place that Paul's testimony here at the end of this letter teaches us also the limits of fellowship. The importance of fellowship, but also the limits of fellowship. Remember that we said that one of the ways we see the importance of fellowship in this passage is by noticing the absence of it in some ways as Paul suffers here at the end of his life. And the absence of fellowship, not the complete absence of it, but the absence of certain people that Paul misses, people including Demas who have broken fellowship with him and others who have just gone to other places, this absence of fellowship reminds us as important as Christian fellowship is, it's not infallible. It's not infallible. Sometimes... Of course, fellowship is broken, which is what we see happened here in verse 10 with Demas. Here's a man who once appeared to be walking with the Lord, once apparently was traveling with the apostle, was involved in these gospel labors together with Paul and probably with others with Paul as well. But now he's turned away. Demas hasn't just left for another mission field, as I think probably was the case with Crescens and Titus later in the verse. Demas has deserted me, Paul says. Demas has bailed out. Demas has loved this world more than he loved the labor of the gospel. He's done something similar to what Mark had once done, you may remember. When Mark abandoned Paul too, and Barnabas as well, on that first missionary journey. And the fallout from Mark's abandoning of them was sad. And yet we're reminded in verse 11 that Mark has come back. Mark didn't walk away from the gospel forever. And he and Paul have mended fences, verse 11 shows us. And maybe that will happen with Demas too. We don't know for sure. But for now, Demas is a deserter. For now, Demas has broken This fellowship, Demas, having loved this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Sometimes fellowship is broken. And then there's Alexander the coppersmith here in verses 14 and 15. Paul doesn't say whether Alexander, like Demas, had once been a follower of Christ or maybe even a ministry partner of Paul's. Timothy would have known that, but we don't know for sure. But Alexander's inclusion here in this passage, this passage in which so many other men were partners of Paul in gospel ministry, is a good hint that Alexander may once have been. And there is an Alexander mentioned in Acts 19 in Ephesus, and there is mention in that chapter also of some members of the synagogue in Ephesus who seemed for a while to listen to the gospel, eventually turning against it and speaking evil of it. And it might be that Alexander was one of those people. Maybe Alexander was once on Paul's side in some way, or at least listening to Paul and to the gospel, but now he's turned against him and against the gospel. And if so, then he, like Demas, is a reminder that the fellowship we enjoy is not infallible. And not least because sometimes people break it. Sometimes people who were once in jump out. 
And it's sad when that happens, and it can leave a hole in our hearts where that person once was and where we hope they'll someday be again. But because men and women are fallible, so is our fellowship. And therefore, there are limits to what we can expect from Christian fellowship in this world. And there are limits, too, not only because some people break fellowship, but also, as we're reminded in verse 16, sometimes because people are just weak. Sometimes people, as with Paul's trial in verse 16, sometimes otherwise good, faithful Christian friends do not show up when we need them. We've all had that happen, and we've all been sometimes the guilty party. Maybe we didn't totally desert like Demas possibly did, and maybe we didn't oppose our former friends like perhaps Alexander did, but maybe we were like some of Paul's other friends in verse 16, whom he still knows are his friends, whom he has forgiven, according to the end of the verse it would appear, but who weren't there on the day of his trial. At my first defense, no one supported me, but all deserted me. May it not be counted against them. Jesus had friends like that. And I think that's how we should read verse 16. Paul is not talking about people who who, uh, deserted him finally. He's not writing off here each and every associate who might should have been there when he was on trial but wasn't. He's not saying they're all like Demas, I don't think, because notice that unlike Demas, he doesn't call these deserters out by name, and he lets love cover their failure by saying at the end of verse 16, may it not be counted against them. But though they are forgiven, and though he has not written them off, he does wish that they had been there, and they weren't. And it's another reminder that although Christian fellowship is important and vital, it's not infallible. Because our fellow Christians like ourselves are weak. Our fellow Christians like ourselves are sinful. Like ourselves, they are, in the words of J. Wilbur Chapman, tempted, tried, and sometimes failing. And so their fellowship, while real and while crucial, has its limits. And then also, still under this heading of the limits of fellowship, we have to notice that even aside from any human failure or weakness, there is sometimes the simple limit of geography. Timothy was far away from Paul when Paul wrote this letter, not because he had deserted, not because he was weak, but simply because ministry had taken these two men to two different cities. And I think that's how we should... Read the situation with Crescens and Titus in verse 10. They're mentioned right after Demas, probably not because they deserted like Demas, but simply because they, like Demas, are gone from Paul's sphere. But they're probably gone to Galatia and Dalmatia for the purpose of ministry, not for the reasons that Demas has disappeared. That's almost surely why Tychicus is gone in verse 12, and probably the same with Erastus in verse 20, and Priscilla and Aquila in verse 19. All these people called by God to the service of the gospel have fanned out to various different places, and they're not all together anymore. And then poor Trophimus has been separated from Paul because apparently he was too sick to travel in verse 20 and had to stay at Miletus. And so you see that 
even if these various folks were right exactly where God wanted them, it meant that their fellowship with Paul was now going to be limited. They could pray for each other. Perhaps they could communicate through snail mail, but that was about the extent of it in this world. And that's how it is in our lives sometimes too as well. I thought sometimes about how full these pews would be if God hadn't allowed so many wonderful members of our church to move for various reasons to other cities. Again, not that we who are still here are chopped liver any more than Luke was, but those of you who have been here for some time could name numbers of godly people, not deserters, not Demases or Alexanders, but Trophimuses and Priscas and Timothys who are still serving the Lord, but who by God's providence are not serving Him here. And so they might not be here like they once were when we are suffering or when some of us like Paul come to die. That's just the nature of things in the church and in the ministry of the church. God calls different people to different places, and our fellowship is limited by that. We're not always going to be able to continue it up close. But, but, notice what Paul says in verses 17 and 18. Even though he had to face that trial and make his first defense alone, he was not alone. For, verses 17 and 18, the Lord stood with me and strengthened me so that through me the proclamation might be fully accomplished and that all the Gentiles might hear. And I was rescued out of the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. And we'll call this now our third point. We've talked about the importance of fellowship and the limits of fellowship, but now thirdly in verses 17 and 18, we need to notice the ultimate fellowship. The ultimate fellowship. Paul may not have had any other fellowship when he made that first defense in verse 16, but he had the fellowship of Christ in verses 17 and 18. And that was enough. That was enough. For here in the person of Jesus as a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Here is the friend who, when we go out making disciples, promises to be with us always, even to the end of the age. Here is the friend who has said, I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you. Here is the friend, in fact, who was forsaken himself by the Heavenly Father at Golgotha, so that Father, Son, and Spirit would not need to forsake us in our sin. And our fellowship with Him will not fail. Our fellowship with Him is infallible. He will not be like Demas and desert. He will not be like Alexander and oppose He will not be like Crescens or Titus or Timothy and be called away to another place. Our fellowship with him will not fail. And Paul could testify to that. And Paul does testify to that here in verses 17 and 18. When no one else was near, the Lord stood with me. The Lord strengthened me. Indeed, 
Christ did for Paul in verse 17 what I doubt any merely human friend could have done for him. Christ got him out of trouble that first time. We don't know all that was going on or all that that means necessarily, but Christ rescued Paul from the lion's mouth, he says, so that he might finish his course, so that he might fully accomplish the ministry God has given him. And in verse 18, the Lord will do for Paul what none of his friends can do, which is to rescue him from every evil deed and bring him safely to his heavenly kingdom. Timothy couldn't do that. Crescens couldn't do that. Trophimus couldn't bring Paul to heaven, but Jesus could and Jesus would and Jesus has. To quote from Wilbur Chapman once again, friends may fail me, foes assail me, but not Jesus. Demas may walk away, Alexander may turn against me, others may not always be there like I wish they were. Timothy may live a long way away, but Jesus is with me always, even to the end of the age, if I belong to him. And isn't that good news this morning, or this evening, I should say? It doesn't negate the importance of fellowship with other believers, else Jesus would just give us all a Bible and tell us not to worry too much about the church. No, we need, we desperately need fellowship with other believers, both in order to live the Christian life and in order to fulfill our Christian ministries. And the fellowship of Jesus, when all other fellowship fails, does not negate that, but it does undergird it with strength and with assurance because it reminds us that our fellowship ultimately never fails if we belong to Christ. We are never alone if we belong to Christ. And you know the fact that Christ's fellowship never fails, actually gives me great hope as I long for and find myself in need of fellowship with other believers. Because I realize Jesus knows what I need, and I realize tonight that Jesus knows in particular that I need the fellowship of other believers. And since Jesus is not the kind, verse 17, who would ever fail me, I can trust that Jesus who knows my need, Jesus who knows that I need fellowship with other believers, and Jesus who will not fail me, will not fail me in this either. He will provide me just the fellowship that I need. He may not always provide me the fellowship that I would like or that I think I need, but he will give me what is best. As a for instance of that, notice that While God did not give Paul Titus or Crescens, whom Paul might have wished that he could see, and while God hasn't given Paul yet any way a visit from Timothy, whom he longs to see, yet God has given him Luke, verse 11. And God has given him a little band of believers in verse 21, Eubulus, Pudens, Linus, and Claudia, and others as well, whom I am assuming are local Christians, since Paul is passing along greetings from them, local Christians who perhaps have been visiting Paul at the prison, and maybe who are in prison with him and fellowshipping with him, probably visitors, 
But you see, the point is, even though the friends whom Paul might be missing the most are not there with him right now, Paul is not actually alone. Which I'm pointing out as an illustration of the fact that while God might not always give you the fellowship that you want, he will give you what is best. And that is true, of course, in verses 16 through 18. Even when there is no Luke, and there is no Linus, and there is no Claudia, and so on. Even when all fellowship from fellow believers fails you, Jesus himself, verse 17, will stand with you. Jesus himself will strengthen you. Jesus himself will be there. The fact that Jesus will always provide for us doesn't mean that my friends won't sometimes fail. It just means that even if they should have been there, humanly speaking, and weren't, yet none of that is out of the way of God's plan. Maybe somebody should have been there, again, humanly speaking, but maybe Jesus wanted me in that case to experience, like Paul, his even more direct support. Verse 17. For his is the ultimate fellowship. His is the great fellowship. He is the great friend who sticks closer than a brother and indeed closer than the most faithful Timothy or Paul could ever do. And because he is that friend, then we could be sure that whenever we need Timothy, whenever we need Paul, whenever Mark would be useful to us, for service, whenever we wish Titus could come back from Dalmatia, the Lord will provide. And because Jesus is that friend, when your Paul, like this Paul, finishes his course, and when you see him no more in this world, you, Timothy, even then, will not be left alone. Because as he did for Martha, the Lord will be with you at the graveside, And as he did for Paul, the Lord will stand with you and strengthen you even when you're left alone. And you will be able to stand and to fully accomplish, verse 17, whatever ministry God has given to you until he brings you safely to his heavenly kingdom. He is the ultimate friend. And so to him, verse 18, to him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. And now, as we finish this book of 2 Timothy, I bless you in the words of Paul to Timothy in verse 22. A blessing that Paul had experienced in his own life as the Lord had been with him, verse 17, at his trial, as the Lord had been with him at every point along his journeys. So he blesses Timothy, and so I Now, bless you. The Lord be with your spirit. Grace be with you.